Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God that we meditate upon this evening is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 15 to 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you wish me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and, our, and, and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. So I'm glad we have at least a couple kids here tonight. I was hoping you guys could help me out with this sermon today. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front. But we're going to learn some hand gestures that are going to help us to learn the sermon as well as to remember it. Our first one is hand washing. So whenever we talk about hand washing, you just think you can do this? You're going to do it down low where I can't see you, right? In an attempt to absolve himself of what he knew full well to be the murder of an innocent man, Pilate took water and washed his hands and said, I am innocent. As far as grand gestures go, this one has got to be one of the most idiotic. The idea that washing our, hand, washing our hands with water can cleanse us of any sin, much less the, the sin of murder, is rather foolish. And yet, despite that fact, we humans have been using just such foolish attempts to cleanse ourselves of our sin ever since the very beginning. After Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do but went and hid from God as though God didn't know exactly where they were or what they had done. And when that didn't work, of course, they started blaming each other. And all of us have continued in just such traditions to this day, attempting to ignore or get rid of our own sin by washing our hands like Pilate, or blaming others, or through any, other, in any of a number of other means by which we attempt to assuage our guilt and ignore our sin. 
None of it works, however, does it? Our hands cannot vindicate or justify ourselves any more than Pilate's hand-washing could vindicate him. There are, however, of course, hands that can. Not our hands, but the hands of Christ. Pilate's mistake was the substance he used, wasn't it? Water cannot wash our sin, but the blood of Christ and the hands of Christ can. Christ's hands do vindicate us by his blood. One of the ways that we sometimes foolishly try to wash our sins is by washing our hands, perhaps, like Pilate. Another one, and here's our second gesture, kids, is by blaming others, right? You can point at your brother or sister, pretend you're blaming them. I know you know how to do that. (laughs) We're all pretty good at trying to blame others and thereby avoid the responsibility for our, our own sin, or at least if we can't avoid the responsibility entirely, at least make sure that God or parents or somebody else knows that we're not as bad as that other person blaming other people. King Saul was very good at blaming other people. There's numerous times in Saul's life when he attempted this. One such example was the time when he was supposed to be leading the children of Israel in battle against the evil Philistines. And God told Saul, wait here until Samuel comes to offer the sacrifice. But King Saul didn't want to wait. And so he offered the sacrifice himself. When Samuel arrived, King Saul tried to blame. You do that? blame Samuel by saying, you were late. I couldn't wait any longer. It's your fault. As you can imagine, blaming others doesn't really work, and it certainly didn't work with God. God told Samuel, or sorry, God told Saul at that point that because he had done this thing, because he had sacrificed without waiting for Samuel, that he had lost the kingdom. God told Saul that he would have made him and his family kings forever. He would establish his, Saul's kingdom forever, except he had not listened and disobeyed. And so his son would not sit on the throne. Trying to blame others doesn't trick God, and yet we keep trying it. Sometimes in our arrogance, we're even so foolish as to blame God. It's your fault, just like Adam and Eve did. During the time of the prophet Ezekiel, the people of Israel tried to blame God by, <clears throat> with the proverb, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now you might be thinking, what in the world does that mean? But basically the children of Israel were claiming that our parents are the ones who sinned and yet God, you're punishing us. You're punishing us for our parents' sin. That's not fair. You're not fair, God. God's response was basically, you think I don't know who has sinned and who hasn't? You think I don't know how to be fair and just? In this instance, God sounds a lot like uh, my mother sometimes. 
when us kids were little and we would get in trouble, we would each try and tell her our version of the story that would, of course, put the blame on our brother more so than ourselves. Our mother would often interrupt and say, I know what happened. I heard it all. I don't need your story. And we would both get sent to our bedrooms, of course. Blaming others, pointing at others doesn't work. However, there is one place, isn't there, where we can point the cross of Christ that does work. That's exactly what John the Baptist did when he saw Jesus coming. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the scapegoat who willingly accepts our blame for our sakes. Would have kind of been nice growing up to have a brother who would have been willing to accept the blame. If Michael, if I had blamed Michael and he had agreed with my parents, oh yeah, that's my fault. Punish me instead. Would have been nice for me. I suppose he would probably say it would have been nice if I had done that. And few, if any of us, had such brothers or sisters growing up, but we do have Christ, who is our brother, who willingly does exactly that, accepting the blame on our case. Another way in which we try to use our hands to vindicate ourselves. Kids look a little tired. You ready for a third one? You think you can remember three? Is by hammering, working, laboring with our hands to try and make up for our sins. Very good, Grace. (laughs) Trying to make up for our sins with good works. We think that by doing something extra good tomorrow, we can make up for the sins of today. But of course... Nothing that we do tomorrow can make up for the sins we do today or any of our other sins. Any good works that we might do are simply what we should have done from the beginning. And therefore, they can't count to fill in or to make up for the sins which, which we have done. If our parents tell us we're supposed to clean our rooms and do our homework... We can't use the fact that we cleaned our rooms as an excuse for why we didn't do our homework, can we? And no more can we use good works, which we should have done in the first place, as an excuse for our sins. Jesus accuses the Jews of exactly this kind of thinking. Remember, he, <coughs> he accuses the Jews that you tithe every, every leaf of mint and yet neglect the, the heavier matters of the law. Jesus was saying that the Jews, every, every leaf that grows on every herb in the garden, they make sure to tithe, give 10% of it to the Lord. But in their efforts to be so good at tithing, they neglect many other things that they should have done. Jesus said you should have done the one and not neglected the other. We can't make up for our sins with good works. There's a story, and... I apologize. Ever since I started working on this sermon a week ago, I've been trying to remember where, where I read this story, and I can't. But if any of you are familiar with it, you can let me know after church. Many of you are aware that years ago, before we had nice, safe LED lights to put on Christmas trees, they used to put actual real candles on the Christmas trees and light them. And naturally, open flames on a tree that is either dead or dying is not exactly the safest thing in the world, and so many of those Christmas trees would catch on fire. There's a story about a a young boy, 10 or 11. 
his family's Christmas tree caught on fire and he reached in and grabbed the trunk with his hand and, and pulled the tree out of the house. And needless to say, his whole hand and upper arm were burnt pretty badly from that. The whole family praised him and said, oh, what a great thing he'd done and how he was a hero and all this. Except the grandma. The grandma gave the boy a look later on and told him, I know what you did last week. And I know you think this makes up for that, but it doesn't. The good works that we try and do with our hands cannot pay for the sins that, we, that stain us. But of course, the work and the labor that Christ does for us can atone for our sins. Christ had no need to be born had no need to fulfill the law, and yet he was born. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And therefore his work is sufficient payment, is sufficient to take the place of our failures. A fourth thing, a fourth way in which we often use our hands to try and vindicate, justify ourselves is when we hold them up in denial. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Even though we know full well that we might have. What's our fourth one? Kid? Last one, kids. Remember this one? Throw our hands up in denial. It wasn't me. There's actually a Super Bowl commercial this year about that, right? Wasn't me. I didn't do it with uh, Shaggy. Denial also doesn't work any more than any of the other methods by which we try and vindicate ourselves. The tactic to, to keep denying, keep denying, and hope that they have no proof is one that a lot of criminals use, and sometimes it does work in our criminal justice system, but not always. It's one that a lot of spouses use with each other. Just deny it and pretend I don't know what she's, she or he is talking about, and Hopefully they, they won't ever find out the truth. And sometimes that seems to work for a little while, but in the end it just creates division and divide between a family. Even in that Super Bowl commercial, remember at the end of it, uh, <clears throat> Mia says, ah, it wasn't me, and Ashton says, okay, and, and Shaggy says, well, that's the first time that's ever worked. I don't know if you guys remember that commercial. But even Shaggy admits it's not a tactic that works very often. And yet, we keep trying to use it with God, hoping he doesn't notice our sin. Even convincing ourselves that he either doesn't notice or doesn't care, many people assume, well, it hasn't struck me with lightning. Either he didn't notice or he didn't care, trying to deny the sin that they've done. They mistake God's patience and long-suffering for ignorance, as Peter reminds us, uh, in first, Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Denying our sins might seem like it's working for a little bit, but it's not going to work with God. And ultimately, it deprives us of that wonderful relief, that wonderful opportunity to confess our sins and to hear God's forgiveness and to receive absolution and move on with our lives because we're too busy denying it. Raising our hands in denial does not vindicate ourselves. 
But of course, when Jesus raises his hands on the cross, that's a gesture that does grant us justification and vindication. Our hands cannot wash away our sins. Our hands cannot vindicate us. Regardless of whether we wash, blame, deny. I forgot the fourth one. Wow. It's going to help me out there. <laughs> or work. There we go. <laughs> or work. None of that is going to wash away our sins. The hands of Christ, however, those are hands that can vindicate us, that can wash us in his blood, that can point us to the cross, that have worked and fulfilled the law for us, and that were raised unto death for our justification. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.